0: Lauren Lee Chen and the twins Aaron and Joshua Fishman welcome to the show I'm Aaron Fishman and I'm honored you're tuning into this one for the first episode back since a multi-month hiatus Tomer Zarli will be with us he's the Clippers beat reporter for Clutch Points so he'll help us understand the confounding team he covers Of course, the Clippers acquired Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the offseason and were accordingly vaulted to championship favorites, or co-favorites at the very least. Now, they've put forth a very strong campaign, but haven't always been the most consistent. Leonard has missed nearly a quarter of LA's games, as he's been held out of half of every back-to-back slate the Clippers have played this season. Meanwhile, costly injuries to Paul George, Patrick Beverley, and Landry Shamet, among others, have meant the team has been fully intact for one solitary game all season. Since the interview was conducted on Friday afternoon, the Clippers defeated the Heat in Miami and the Magic in Orlando, improving their record to 33-14. and 14. That's good for the third best mark in the West, narrowly behind Utah when it comes to win percentage. Coming out of their annual Grammy road trip, The Clips technically have one more road game, although it will be back at Staples in a game hosted by the Lakers Tuesday night. The game figures to be an especially emotional one for the home team, sure to still be reeling from the unexpected death of one of the league's all-time greats, Kobe Bryant, a Laker for nearly half of his life. I want to take a moment to share my heartfelt condolences on this tragedy shaking the NBA world and far beyond. Eight additional lives were lost far too soon as well. This one will sting for a long, long time, and for so many people. It's difficult to transition back to the matter at hand, something far less significant in the overall scheme of things, but that's my task here. Much is expected from the Clippers the rest of the way. Tomer expertly takes us behind the curtain, as the squad navigates a slew of injuries and heightened expectations in its quest to make moves in Leonard and George's first season in town. Here we go. So this is kind of a confusing team to more casual observers, and even to a lot of people who follow the team closely. Of course, came in with sky-high expectations. So I'm hoping you can help us sort through all of this. Thanks for joining me, Tomer.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Appreciate it.
0: It's my pleasure. Really good timing, too, ahead of the Clippers' third meeting with the Lakers that will be on TNT on Tuesday night for a national audience. But there's so much to delve into. I'm going to start with an open-ended question for you. For a championship contender like the Clippers, with those expectations through the roof, at a certain point, the excuses just have to stop. We're more than halfway through the season. And there have been a number of inexcusable results on the court and troubling things off the court as well that we'll get into a little bit later. So that's one side of the coin. But at the same time, in the Clippers' defense, they've just been bitten hard by the injury bug. I think they've maybe only had, correct me if I'm wrong, one practice where they were entirely healthy all season. And they're still very close to that number two seed, not even that far off from the number one seed. Top six in both offensive and defensive efficiency, despite a ridiculously difficult schedule and all those injuries. Where do you see them at this point? Kind of uh, touching upon all of that.
1: Um, I mean, this Clippers team, I think, like you said, they're a very confusing team right now. They're they've had. I mean, let's not let's not mistake it. They're they're thirty one and Fourteen right now they've won 31 to 45 games they're in a solid spot second third seed in the west they're not bad Uh, but I think they haven't lived up to the expectations in terms of the play style and the you know results on the court it's safe to say that by now I think some people may have expected the Clippers to run off maybe like you know a 10 11 12 game winning streak really showing that they've pieced it together and I think you know frustrations have shown recently you know, when it comes to health, when it comes to guys sitting out games, when it comes to the offense not flowing smoothly or the defense not communicating as much as they need to, that it's just taking a lot longer than it needs to. Now, again, they've won six of the last eight, so it's not like it's a very worrisome thing to look at. But I think, you know, as we approach the All-Star break, health is something we need to continue to look at. Um, and team chemistry, team chemistry is something that they've had They've been building on for a while um, they had all the off season hangouts that they used to do like in the four days they had earlier in the month they had four days off between games uh, and not only do they practice but they had team dinners they went bowling so they had some team outings so it's not like they don't enjoy playing together or enjoy each other off the court um I just think it's a work in progress it's 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 a team last year that had an underdog mentality all season and now you add two superstars from two completely different programs in Kawhi and PG. And it just takes time to incorporate these guys. Uh, and we haven't even talked about the fact that they have one game healthy all year. Uh, and That was the Lakers game on Christmas Day. The following game, Trez missed because of the flu, and then Pat went out with a wrist injury. So they've only really had one game healthy, one practice the day before that healthy. Um, and we've really yet to see what this team can be. So I, I don't think it's time to overreact yet, but this team is still a work in progress.
0: Yeah, it's so difficult to try to see what to make of this team because there are so many ifs and hypotheticals, but I don't think that they're unfair hypotheticals. Like what you said about the one game fully healthy, that sounds like an excuse, and it is, but it's fully legitimate. They're 26-8 and eight when Kawhi Leonard is played. They're 5-6 and six without him. They're 14 and four when both Leonard and Paul George have played. They're really good in close games, seven and one in three point games. They're 19 and four at home, and they figure to have a ton of home games in the playoffs given their current record and expected finish. So I don't know how you deal with analyzing a team that there's all these what ifs. Is it just kind of something that we'll just have to wait and see if this is a sleeping giant that? dare I say it, is kind of overlooked or a team that's overrated and coming together is going to be a lot more difficult than just flipping a switch?
1: I think that it's it's still too early to to make something of this team. Obviously, we know they're going to be good. It's just a matter of how good. How, are they going to figure out all their kinks and stuff defensively? Um, are they going to move the ball well enough offensively? Um, you know, when you're missing guys like Paul, I mean – You're missing a what I think his usage rate when he's on the court is about 30%. You're missing a big part of your offense when he's not playing out there. Mm -hmm. They've been able to, you know, withstand the absences. Paul's missed 19th game uh, so far. And, um, you know, who knows when he'll come back. He doesn't seem close to a return yet. But, you know, they've missed a lot of games with with Paul. Kawhi's missed a few as well. Um, More than 10, I believe. And uh, you know, there's just guys that they've had to sort of throw into the lineup to fix. Like you saw the lineup against the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they started Lou Williams, Terrence Mann, uh, because PG Kawhi and Pat Beverly were all out. So I think they've been experimenting with lineups and they've been they've been really working on what they could. But it's really tough to know what this team will be until they're healthy. Uh and you're right, it is a bit of an excuse, a cop out excuse, yes, but it's also a fact that you just—I mean—you can't know what this team will be until they're fully healthy. Right. right now, we haven't seen them fully healthy for more than a single game. So, if we want to look at it, I mean, right now they're one to zero when they're fully healthy. So, I mean, <laughs> we'll see—we'll see how that works out when they finally do get healthy. But yeah, it's just—it's just tough to tell what this team will be right now. It's—it's it's too early to tell. I think we'll know better. We'll know more about them post All Star break. Once hopefully they're healthy and they, they have a couple of days off, you know, to practice and get together and then move from there.
0: From that stat, you decided. I'm hearing that they can't lose when they're fully healthy. Is that what you said?
1: I mean, right now they're 100%, they're hundred percent. Yeah. They're one to know. So, I mean,
0: <laughs> there's one troubling trend of large leads that they've blown in losses. The most recent coming against the Atlanta Hawks at home. Now you just referenced this. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, none of them suited up. But they had led by 21 points late in the second quarter, only to lose that game. In December, there was an eight-day stretch, a nine-day stretch, where they had three losses in which all the games they led by at least 15. That was at Chicago, at home against the Rockets, and at OKC. Do you think that part of that is complacency or what do you attribute those big blown leads to?
1: Well, I've asked Doc about this myself, about having big blown leads. And he said that it's, it's not, he's not too worried about the big blown leads because if if they're like, you know, a late third quarter, fourth quarter lead, then those are the ones that are inexcusable. But because they're leads that are sort of built early in games and times and, and, I mean, in today's NBA, teams will make runs. I mean, you probably don't see a game without a 10 to twelve zero run on a nightly basis. So, yeah, I, I just think the blown leads thing is, is something that you can't really look at too much right now. Uh, again, it's worth looking at how many games those, those Clippers were healthy. So I think the Chicago game, they were maybe missing uh, Kawhi, I think. Yeah, I think Kawhi set out that game. Yeah, I really
0: didn't plan that game either.
1: So, yeah, Pat set out that game too. So, it's just a... It's just a sort of mix of, of um, mix of bad luck, but I think I think they'll figure it out. Um, they just haven't been able to get healthy and, and figure out figure it out together. But again, I think you can really start to judge this team post All Star break um, and go from there.
0: Another thing, also that I touched upon, but we didn't talk about it as much in depth, that I think is important for context, is that they had an extremely difficult schedule to start. So nine of their 13 pairs of back-to-backs have already been completed and they're 45 games in. I think that matters a lot more for a team like the Clippers with a player who um, is being load-managed like Kawhi is. And yeah, also just the strength of schedule. We've seen over the last three weeks it's gotten a lot easier for the Clippers, whereas teams like Utah and Denver – are expected to have two of the toughest remaining schedules. So I think that'll be interesting just in terms of how the standings shake out. I want to return to that a little bit later, but I'd like you to discuss a little bit about how their defense looks. So they're ranking sixth in defensive efficiency, and interestingly enough, Paul George's absence both early in the season and then recently hasn't really affected it. They've been just as good on defense with him unable to play, but we've also seen some really big defensive letdowns every so often. How good would you say their defense is presently and how much room do they have for improvement?
1: Um, I think there's always room for improvement. I don't think you can never be satisfied w- with how you're playing. I think, especially with this Clippers team, you can never be satisfied. Um, but I will say that, While they've been solid, I think there have been just a lot of miscommunication and and just, you know, I'll say this. Doc Rivers' game plan or schemes defensively have been to mix it up a lot of the season. So, you know, when you're facing guys like Luka, Harden, LeBron, the superstar wings, you're not giving them one look. You know, you might come off a pick and hedge. You might go under a screen once. You might force them inside. You, You know, you might top log once. It's just they're mixing it up. And so I think that, again, This kind of goes back to the health part where that, you know, guys need to be on the same page because if you're not healthy, you don't fully know, you know, how guys want to play defensively. That makes sense. Like, you know that Paul George will probably play something a little differently than, say, Kawhi Leonard or, say, Mo Harkless. Um, for example, Mo Harkless, I think, I think I saw a stat on Twitter earlier. He's defending the opponent's number one option more often than not. So they're really giving Kawhi a bit of a break there by not having him guard the best player on the other team most of the time. So that's been helpful as well, but I do think the Clippers, the Clippers' defense, it it's needed work because, for example, like that Hawks game, they were able to get stops. I mean, they held the Hawks down to I believe it was like thirty five percent shooting, but they also gave up twenty five offensive rebounds, twenty four offensive rebounds. So you know, it's one thing to get the stop, but it's part of defense to collect the defensive rebound and start the offense, and that's just. I mean, it sounds all, honestly very simple and, and you know, you know, elementary. But it's something that they w- they haven't been able to do at times. Like twenty four offensive rebounds, twenty four more shots for an opposing team. You are not going to win games most nights like that. And I think that's where Zubats comes in. Their, their their numbers while Zubats is on the court have been pretty close to phenomenal. They've been a really good defensive team when Zubats is on the court because they not only def- you know block shots, but he changes shots. He really he's a really he's a big guy inside. He takes mm-hmm. up a lot of space. And so when they go with Trez more often, like I think the split in that Hawks game was like 15 minutes Zubots, 33 minutes or 32 minutes Trez. You're obviously giving up defense for offense in that case. Like, look, I'm in favor. I've been saying this all year. Play Zubots more. Get him more minutes. For whatever reason, the Clippers are not getting him more minutes right now. Maybe they're showcasing Trez more. Maybe they feel like they can, they can outscore teams and, 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 you know, sort of be okay defensively with Trez on the court. Um, But I do think a bit of their defense always comes back to Zubats and having him on the court Uh, because inside he's just, he's, he's been statistically like block shots where he hasn't been a crazy force, but he's been a shot changing force at the rim for the Clippers.
0: Speaking of Zubats, the Clippers are playing his former team, the Lakers in that highly anticipated Tuesday matchup. These teams of course have never been this good at the same time in their history. And obviously that. More has to do with the Clippers' tortured history, but in recent years, it's flipped and the Clippers have been a perennial playoff team. Uh So now they're both really good. The Lakers have the best record in the West, second best record in the league. And there's all these other reasons why the respective fan bases are kind of snipping at each other, whether it's how each franchise manages its stars, load management stuff, like with LeBron and Doc kind of having those war of words through the media and and other things too, like the story about Uncle Dennis and how that related to both teams' pursuit of Kawhi and the off season. But anyway, these teams have faced off twice. The Clippers are 2-0 and so far this year. What do you think are the key areas to pay attention to in this upcoming matchup and also with regard to a potential Western Conference Hallway Series Matchup at Staples Center?
1: Uh, Well, so far, I mean, you know, it's weird. Every time the Lakers and Clippers have faced, I thought, you know, for example, opening night, I thought the Lakers had the edge, obviously, because PG was out um, and LeBron and AD were on the Lakers. So I was like, okay, the Lakers are probably going to win that one. And then Christmas Day came and I was like, you know what? Even though PG's back, you know, the Lakers are home now, home, home, truly home is their court. And I figured, okay, this uh, this time they're going to want it more. They were embarrassed by that opening night loss. They're going to win this one. And for the first two and a half quarters, it looked like they were on the way to win. And then Kawhi just decided, no, we're not We're not going to lose this game. And the Clippers won that one, which took me by surprise a bit. Uh, now, um, this one's interesting. You know, obviously PG isn't here, but I think the series, honestly, might just come down to health. Like the, the Clippers have shown that they – they can play the Lakers very well. They match up pretty well against them. You know, Kawhi is able to to really put pressure on LeBron. LeBron does not want to guard Kawhi right now. Um, I don't think he will in the playoffs either. And so, I just look at it and say, you know, the, the the Clippers have all the keys, all the all the right pieces to slow down the Lakers. It's just a matter of can they be healthy when they play them? You know, can they have enough repetition? I guess um, under their belt together as a team to beat the Lakers. Uh, I, 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 for one would welcome, really welcome a, a hallway series because that means no travel for me in seven games in the playoffs. That'd be (laughs) pretty cool. Um, But it's also hard to go against LeBron James in a playoff series. Like has he lost a playoff series since, you know, in his, in his respective conference. Yeah. I don't think he has in like nine years, actually. Yeah. Nine or 10 years. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to go against LeBron, but we're also seeing a Clippers team that has all the right pieces to slow them down. So, um, you know, it, again, if, if they're healthy, if the Clippers are healthy, I think you could pick them to come out of the West to beat the Lakers in a series. Yeah. It just comes down to health. It's really all it comes down to. Like, for example, like, I don't think Paul George will be, will be ready for the Lakers matchup, but even if he is ready, like, uh, is he going to be a hundred percent? He's going to be probably like close to 80%. He's going to be rusty. So. Yeah, I think it'll just come down to health between the Lakers and Clippers. Whoever's a healthier team will end up winning that game and the series. Yeah,
0: I think if they face off in the playoffs, that's going to be fascinating. And um, I, I agree with you. It's hard to go against LeBron, but it's also hard to go against Kawhi. LeBron, what we've seen. <laughs> but way more importantly, um, I think the Clippers have more depth. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I did want to get back to the seeding because – That could be very important um, with regard to who has home court. Maybe it doesn't matter in a hallway series. I'm not sure. But if you're the Clippers, I think you at least want a top two seed, preferably. The Clippers are playing the long game, or at least they're saying that publicly. Is that your indication from the people you've talked to around the organization, including the players, that seeding isn't that important, even though they are really good at home?
1: Of course you want a top three, top four seed. Home court does matter. You know, Doc has said this in the past. Some of the players probably won't acknowledge it, but home court advantage does matter. However, health is just the number one priority. Like there's just no there's nothing more important than that. Like if, if the Clippers are healthy, obviously they wouldn't want to be the eighth seed, but if they are the eighth seed for as an example, as a worst case example. If they're eighth seed and healthy, like that's terrific because you know what this team is capable of. Now, I think I, I never had them finishing as a, as a number one seed. I think they were always going to be, you know, load managing and watching guys' minutes throughout the season. So I I always thought they'd be somewhere between the two to four range, which is exactly where they're at right now. But again, it's just health is going to be a number one priority where, like, yeah, home court matters, but they will be content being a four seed if they're 100% healthy. Like, they have if they have PG, Kawhi healthy, Pats 100%, or close to it, anyways um you know they've built some chemistry over time and and they go in as a four seed i can tell you they'll be very confident about their odds and their chances because that's just the kind of team this is they're not really worried about the seeding they just want to be healthy if guys are available they can get it done
0: just a quick note as of friday afternoon before the game at miami the clippers are the third seed but there are five teams clustered between the second and sixth seeds and so, only three games separate the Clippers and Rockets. So, just as of now, the Clippers are closer to the Rockets in the standings than they are to the Lakers at number one.
1: Uh-huh. But,
0: yeah, um, I take your point that number one priority is health and Just going along with what we were discussing about the landscape of the Western Conference and those teams that they'll have to contend with um, that stand in their way potentially of making a Western Conference finals appearance and moving on to the finals. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what other teams pose a tangible
1: threat. Um, The Rockets presented an an interesting matchup because of the... Westbrook Harden dynamic, uh, but I, I think that I think that you know the, the Clippers show that you know a sort of trap towards half court can sort of eliminate Harden or at least partially eliminate him at times, and then Westbrook we've seen he can be a little erratic, and I think the Clippers would much rather have Westbrook pulling up and and creating than Harden. I think the Nuggets are an interesting one because I personally I don't know what it is I just. I just don't buy into them yet. Uh, they're dealing with um, health issues right now. I know Mason Plumlee's out, Paul Millsap is out, Jamal Murray is out, uh, Michael Porter Jr. is dealing with injury. But for whatever reason, I'm having trouble, you know, believing in them figuring it out. You know, last year they were the what were they, the two seed, I believe it was, and they they lost to a Portland team without use of Nurkic. Now maybe experience is all they needed. Um, you know, a, a series like that to really get under their belt. But I just don't believe in the Nuggets for whatever reason. They could come out and have a terrific playoff series, though, to to just make me look completely bad. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you know the Nuggets Rockets. I think the Mavs are an interesting one. I think I don't think they'll give them too many fits because they've defended the, Luka well so far in their two matchups, uh, both in Dallas, both wins, one without Paul George. Um, I mean, oh, you! I forgot about Utah completely. Utah is, uh, again, their schedule has been kind of weak of late, but they've been playing really well, and they've been doing it without Mike Conley. I think Utah's a team I would be a little uh, fearful of if I was the Clippers just because they've got the length inside and go bare defensive player of the year uh, two times. They, they've got the offensive firepower. They added Bogdanovich. They're getting Mike Conley back. Donovan Mitchell is probably an all-star this year. I think, I think if I had to pick a team that would give them the most fits, it's probably the Utah Jazz. You know, but I mean, if you're looking at a favorable matchup in the playoffs, you might want Dallas Mavericks. Um, it sucks to say, but, you know, even even though they, they did lose Dwight Powell, they, they might be a favorable matchup for the Clippers. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. This is Sekou Smith of NBA T V, NBA and the Hang Time
0: Podcast. You are doing the right thing if you are listening to on the NBA beat.
1: Obviously, the Bucks would be number one if we're going all NBA. Bucks are on the pace for what seventy two wins, seventy one wins this year. Crazy. They've been they've been phenomenal. So, I guess if you look at the whole NBA, yeah, it'd be Bucks number one, obviously for obvious reasons. They're playing terrific. Yeah, uh, the Lakers number two because they're they're LeBron and AD, and after that, I'd probably put the Jazz there. Yeah.
0: And then also, the Celtics um, are the only other team besides the Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, and Jazz who rank in the top ten in both offensive and defensive efficiency. But really, in my mind, only the Bucks pose a, a serious threat right now from the Eastern Conference. But that's that's far away, and the Clippers have a lot to do before they even make the NBA Finals. So a lot of this is is purely speculative. Yeah, at this so point. far away from that. But I, yeah, but I, I did just very quickly want to touch on the utter meltdown that the Clippers had against the Bucks. I don't want to place too high an importance on just one game, but it was stark how precipitously the Clippers melted down in that game. So the Bucks had a, a little bit of a lead, but there was a 43-11 to 11 run over a stretch that spanned parts of the third and fourth uh-huh. quarter. And Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were both on the court for the majority of that time, so that's kind of like the only the one thing when I look back at this season that can't really be explained away by um, injuries. And I, I mean, I guess you could say still they haven't had that much chemistry or time to develop it. But does that one case concern you at all, or it's a very small sample size? across a a long season
1: i mean you could look at that game but you could also look at the game that they played without pg and without Kawhi against the bucks in early november and they only lost by five at home you know that was a game where mantras and luke combined to score 34 apiece they had 34 apiece right there Um, beverly at 20 um so like and that was without pg and Kawhi. I think that one game they lost by like forty plus was just like a random sort of just one of those games you have a lackluster effort game. I also think the Bucks were obviously pissed off at how Kawhi and the Raptors eliminated them last season, having won four straight, uh, two uh, what was it one or two on their home court. Um, and so I think I think it, I don't think you can take away too much from that Bucks matchup. Um, obviously, Kawhi plays Giannis and knows how to play Giannis very well. Uh, i i I really think that was just one of those games that you just you look at the game from once and you sort of just toss it out to the trash because it was just a really bad overall effort game for them uh, but I do think you know obviously the bucks present incredible matchup issues and they have incredible depth um at pretty much every position so yeah. it's not like they 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 didn't do things right obviously but um I, I just think it's that game was way too early and just one of those games that you can't really take too much from it if if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I usually take the long view of things. And I like to be more analytical. I don't like the thing that people do where you overreact to one instance in a larger season. I I think that it isn't that big of a deal. But the one thing that really concerned me about that game is that it seemed like the Clippers gave up. It was like 15 points they were down. They stopped rebounding defensively. And there were guards on the bucks that were just getting easy putbacks. They were hanging their heads. And this was against a really good team. And like I said, they had their two stars on the court. Um, so, yeah, we don't need to spend any more time on this. But that was the one issue that I think is the reason why I'm still talking about it now, months later.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. They did look like they gave up midway through the, what was I think it was like. Late in the second or early in the third, when the when the Bucks started blowing up that lead, it looked like they literally just waved the white flag and were like, All right, we are not we can't compete with this. Oh, it was late in the third, early fourth. If we, if yeah. We, oh yeah, that's when the next the the the, uh, the Bucks blew up, yeah. It's just inexcusable. But again, I don't think you can take too much from that one game. Um, you know, we've seen teams Get you know lose three out of four matchups in the regular season, and then come out and beat them three out of four times in the playoffs, or four out of five times, whatever it is. So, I don't think you can take too much out of that. Uh, but it was a disappointing effort on the Clippers' part for sure.
0: Touching on the article from the Athletic that was jointly written by Jovan Buha and Sam Amick, you did cite, and it, the article did as well, that things have gotten better with regard to the chemistry since then. Do you have any more information um, that you've been able to gather just in the last couple days since that report came out? Or anything that you think is important to understand for those panicking about what they read? It seems like it's much ado about nothing to me, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: I mean, I think the root of this, of this whole piece and this whole report was, was Trez's comments back on January 4th. They gave up 140 points to the Grizzlies. It was an embarrassing effort. The Grizzlies got pretty much every 50-50 ball. The Clippers' effort was just not there. And I think Trez clearly had, you know, he stayed longer than most, if not all, players other than Kawhi game to talk about, you know, to air out his grievances. It looked like he had something to say and he wanted it known. It's tough because nothing, nothing that he said was not true. Like, everything he said there was true. Uh, they hadn't been playing with a lot of effort. They... They, they, they've really just been, just been slacking it, feels like. It's just, I think it's frustrating because this article comes out now, basically 20 days after this incident happened. And I feel like the team, you know, obviously, you know, it said Doc scolded him and ripped him for it. And I think the team is a little upset at him, but they moved on from it right away. Like it just, they, they were quick to move on from it. They, they rallied together. They won six of their next eight games before this came out. And I think, You know, we saw some of the players like Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, uh, Patrick Patterson. They came out and said, oh, fake news, fake news. But they weren't reacting to the article itself. They were reacting to the headline of the of the, you know, the athletic piece and, and how they worded it. And, you know, I have it right here. They said Clippers chemistry issues, question mark. Sources say some players have struggled with the organization's preferential treatment that's afforded to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And. The three other vets on that team came out and said fake news, that's not true, or out your sources. Um, look, I it, saying saying fake news is, is, is something you probably shouldn't do because, look, they sourced over a dozen people in this article. Um, so clearly people had stuff to say, and it wasn't just, like, not true. The thing about it is I feel like these were issues of the past and issues that players on the team had moved on from. And I think part of the frustration came from this not only – coming out public but coming out in public 20 days after trez's comments yeah um i think that's where a lot of a lot of the players were probably like well why is this coming out now like this shouldn't be out now um i don't know if it's been that well documented but trez was a little upset following the the uh the the comments he made going public uh you know they played the knicks after that they played the knicks after that yeah and they played the warriors Ah, uh, he didn't speak post game in either of those games because he said he he didn't want to. He was upset that his comments were taken out of context and didn't want to didn't want to talk with the media for anymore. And it was just like a weird time. Um, but I, I mean, I don't think his con his comments were taken out of context. I think he said exactly what he meant to say. And even though it, it it went public and caused a bit of you know trouble, it was it may have been the right thing to do. I mean, the right thing to do would have been to keep it in house, but. It seems like that sort of sparked them to, to to play better, almost. Like Kawhi's been on a run since then. Uh, he's averaged what thirty four since those comments something came like out, something like that, and thirty six so, over the last six. I think. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, something like that. So it's not. It's. I don't think he should have done it, but clearly he wanted to do it. So. Um, it's tough because I know it, it, it kind of put over in a tough position with the team, uh, and it's not his fault. His fault is to obje- objectively report on the team, and he did a great job of it, uh, along with Sam Emick. Um, but I mean, it, it's it's a tough position right now. That I understand why the Clippers are upset, why some of the players didn't want this to come out. But at the same time, you know, it was all factual. It wasn't It wasn't fake news that some of the players had said. So, yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope. But, um. I think you know within a week this will have been moved on from, like you know if Paul George returns, you know say against the Lakers, and they end up winning that game, you know this story will probably so far in the rearview mirror you can barely see it. I, I think so. I think it was a great article by Yovan and and Sam,
0: and I think that it seemed to have been well and deeply reported and fair, and I don't think I'm going to read just a, a a couple sentences from the quote from Harrow which. I firmly believe was not taken out of context. But um, at at the same time, I do think the the headline, not the headline I'm seeing right now, but um, I think how it was um, teased on social media, I think was slightly misleading once you read the article, but uh, that's usually done by editors, not the reporters themselves. Um,
1: But yeah, that's an important thing to note that, that Jovan didn't come up with that headline. Uh, the yeah, of, a lot of
0: people reading don't don't understand that. And so they just lash
1: out at the person in the byline. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the headline Jovan uh, had for his piece. Um, I'm looking at chemistry setting
0: behind the scenes of Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers merging culture, which is not a dramatic
1: headline at all. There you go. And, 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 it, and it accurately
0: title. represents the article.
1: Yeah. And the athletic headlines there is chemistry issues, Players have issues with with uh, preferential treatment towards Kawhi and PG, so you can see where. And again, the athletic is is a subscription based. You know they have a paywall, so a lot of people are just going to read the headlines and run with it. Yeah. So I think that's part of that's part of what contributed to it. That it's just you you led people. I mean, yeah, it's a way to get subscriptions, but it's also a way to just make headline readers go nuts, and that's what a lot of people did. Just the last thing, I
0: promise this is the last thing. Um, I like truth-telling and um, people telling it like it is, even though I agree that Harold would have been best served keeping his opinions in-house and resolving them that way. He said a lot of things that seemed to have merit and were true, but when he asked about, um, was asked about the vibe in the locker room, this was his quote, I don't know, brother, I don't know, and that might be another problem right there. So, he was directly asked about the vibe in the locker room and that was his answer. So, I mean, maybe it was the emotions that got to him from after the game, but that's that's on him. That's not the media taking it out of context. But, yeah, but anyway, it, it's, it's a, we can talk
1: about this forever. I, I, I was the one who asked him about the vibe of the locker room because it seemed like I didn't get a weird vibe before that, but once he started speaking, I wanted to know what the vibe of the locker room was. Because yeah, reporters are gonna try to find out once he says that. Yeah, so I I was just curious, and and honestly, I I didn't post a video of him saying that because I had a feeling that kind of answer could draw some ire. And I think I think honestly, that's what the players and the team had the biggest issue with is that answer. Um, And I think again, I think he's just emotional, and he was going through. You know, they were going through a tough time there, team wise, and. They were frustrated with losing. At that point, they have been alternating win loss win loss for about a week and a half, two weeks. Um, so you understand the frustrations there, but at the same time, that's kind of that's a very very confusing answer um, for a second seeded team that has championship aspirations. Yeah, uh, and at least on the outside, it looks like they're they're getting along so well. Uh, so that I think that threw everyone for a bit of a bit of a spin. Like, whoa, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it was just the players inside knew what he meant. Uh, the coaches knew what they meant and, and, and I think that's that's the most important thing like no one it wasn't like a divisive comment that he made it was just like a you know like I don't know what's going on right now like what's going on with this sort of thing you know what I mean um, yeah and so mm. they figured it out and, and now they're on a roll so yeah okay we'll we'll leave it there thanks a lot
0: Tomer this has been a lot of fun of course thanks for having me Aaron always happy to do it I'm sure lots of people nationwide will be paying close attention to your reporting. This is going to be a fascinating team to pay attention to the rest of the way. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you.